Hey, good morning, Grace Hill Church. Hope you guys are having a great Sunday morning. Wish we could be outside with you, but obviously the threat of rain, we decided to move uh, inside. So welcome to the Grace Hill Church offices. I know we have this nice black background behind me, but we're just in our offices and I'm so thankful for everyone who comes in here and makes this happen. I mean, I'm looking at Justin and Witt who are running the video and the slides and Jamie's over there running the sound and obviously our band uh, who comes in and leads for us. So it's just such a great effort on uh, everyone, uh, everyone's behalf to do this. So just so grateful uh, for them. Um, this morning, uh, I- I'm-, I'm very excited and hopeful for the sermon um, that we have and what we're going to be looking into the scriptures uh, to study. Um, But before we jump into that, let me just remind you, because I I feel like this could be one of those sermons that you have some questions about or you want some more clarification on. And so I really encourage you, uh, as you listen through this, if you have any questions, anything you want to, to be reiterated or some clarification or some examples or whatever it is, Go to slido.com, S-L-I-D-O.com, enter in code 917, and if you enter that code in, uh, it'll, this interface will come up where you can ask questions and submit questions uh, about today's sermon. And so go ahead and do that. And here's what we're going to do. Normally, we go live on Mondays at noon uh, in order to answer those questions. Tomorrow is a holiday. So we're going to do this Tuesday at 2 o'clock, Tuesday at 2 Um, where uh, we'll go online live, Facebook and YouTube, and we'll interact with those questions. So really encourage you to do that. You can also throw questions in the comments on Facebook or YouTube or email us or however you want to do that. Um, But we realize this might be one of those topics that we need to spend more time on. So invite you to do that. Hey, before we jump into uh, this morning's sermon, let let me pray for us. God, um, we're just grateful to, to, to gather together, even if it's virtually this morning, um, to study your word. And um, Lord, I, I just, I admit that this morning we are approaching a topic, God, that your word obviously speaks so clearly on. Um, but Lord, at the same time, it's, it's just hard. And um, it, it's, it's one of those topics, loneliness, that um, makes this world such a hard place to live in. And um, it's, it's one of the reasons why, God, you, the picture you give us of your kingdom is, is one where there is no broken relationship. There will be no loneliness. But, but today, Lord, it's something that we do endure. And so, God, I just pray for your grace upon me to speak accurately to what your word says. Um, and, and, and God, I pray, Lord, that you would do something by your spirit to comfort Uh, the lonely. I'm just so aware this morning that uh, I don't have the power to do that, but but God, you do. So we we ask you for that grace this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Um, In uh, one of his books called The Four Loves, uh, C.S. Lewis says this. He says, as soon as we are fully conscious, we discover loneliness. We need others physically, emotionally, and intellectually. We need them if we are to know anything, even ourselves. The feeling of loneliness is kind of like the check engine light 
on your car. You were, I was designed by God, engineered by God to need to operate on relationship with others. And just like the engine in your car is designed to need something like oil to run. And and when your engine begins to be low on oil or that oil goes bad, it's going to begin to let you know that, hey, I'm not going to be able to go much further unless we fix this problem. And the feeling of loneliness is a similar warning. The body is saying, hey, something is wrong and I'm not going to be able to go much further if we don't address this and we don't begin to find life-giving relationship. Uh, Over the last several weeks, we've been in a sermon series called My Blank Home, where we've been addressing the, the stress that could be rising in our homes due to the fact that we're spending so much time there during this pandemic. And so far, we have mostly talked about how this pandemic might be stressing the relationships of our home. Uh, So we've talked about marriage and how this could be stressing the marriage. We've talked about conflict resolution in the home. We've even talked about virtual relationships and if God has anything to say about that. But what if the pandemic has not been difficult because it's putting stress on your relationships? What if it's been difficult because it's taking you away from relationships? What about those who find this season that we're in as an incredibly lonely season? And that warning light is is going off. Is that where you're at this morning? Are you finding this year that we're in, 2020, to be an incredibly lonely season? Uh, The book of Ecclesiastes, uh, it's in your Old Testament Um, is a book where the author spends a lot of time pointing out things that he has either experienced or observed in life uh, that he finds to be completely meaningless. And loneliness, living life alone, is one of those. I want you to see what he says. This is in Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verses 7 to 12. Look at what the author says. He says... I observed yet another example of something meaningless under the sun, something meaningless in life. This is the case of a man who is all alone, without a child or a brother, yet who works hard to gain as much wealth as he can. But then he asks himself, who am I working for? Why am I giving up so much pleasure now? It is all so meaningless and depressing. Two people are better than one, for they can help each other succeed. If one person falls, the other can reach out and help. But someone who falls alone is in real trouble. Likewise, two people lying close together can keep each other warm. But how can one be warm alone? A person standing alone can be attacked and defeated, but two can stand back to back and conquer. Three are even better, for a triple braided cord is not easily broken. So why does the author of Ecclesiastes say that living alone is meaningless? If you notice in verse 8, the the reason why he calls it meaningless and depressing is because our lives, our effort, our gifts, our work, our thoughts, who we are, 
is supposed to be shared with another person or other people. It's like uh, Vincent Van Gogh once said this. He says, a great fire burns within me, but no one stops to warn themselves at it. And passersby only see a wisp of smoke. I have so much in me that I want to share with others, but there's no one to share it with. We cannot thrive unless we can share who we are and what is within us with other people. And if we are cut off from being in relationship with other people, we will not actually be able to be who we were created to be. See, loneliness is not just about a lack of physical or virtual presence with other people. It's about not being able to share yourself with others and to have others share themselves with you. And this morning, I want us all to go to the word of God and and ask God to show us how we should respond to this feeling of loneliness. Because this morning, you might be struggling with loneliness because of whatever current life circumstance you're in. Maybe you're single and you just long to be married. Or maybe you've lost a loved one and you're still struggling through that feeling of that loss. Or you're still picking things up after a divorce. Or maybe your kids have moved out of the house and things are so quiet now. There may be all kinds of reasons that we struggle with loneliness. But it's also possible that you could be surrounded with people And still struggle with loneliness because you feel unseen. And that even though there are people around, there's no one to actually share life with. And my prayer for you is that this time in God's word right now, it wouldn't be salt in a wound. But it it would be a healing balm to your soul. And so this morning, uh, I, I have three things that we can do when we feel lonely. But before I dive into those, let me just say, as I did last week, that um, I want all of us, no matter who's watching, whether you would say, hey, I I do feel lonely and I really don't want to hear this right now. Or if you're in that camp of, "I, I don't feel lonely right now. That's not what I'm struggling with currently. I want all of us to lean in to this sermon this morning because one, loneliness is something we'll all face at some point in our lives. And two, because you have brothers and sisters right now who do feel lonely. And that means that all of us can do something to love and serve those around us who do. So let's, let's lean into what God has to say this morning. Three things to do when you feel lonely. Here's number one. Number one is lament. What do we do when we feel lonely? The first thing we need to do is lament. Um, And this first point is probably the one that needs the most teaching and maybe reorienting some definition to understand what what do I mean by lament? So, So let me be clear from the beginning. If you are struggling with loneliness and this is causing you to be sad, frustrated, uh, tired, anxious, annoyed, bitter, whatever the feeling it is inside of you. It is not sin that you are feeling those things. 
I just need to be so clear about this. It is not an expression of distrust in God or a lack of faith that you feel these things or you're struggling with grief or you're struggling with sadness or depression or whatever it is. God invites you to lament in the midst of your loneliness. But what I think we need is I think we need to understand what lament actually is. All right, so I want to show you something here real quick. I'm going to pop a little blackboard up on the screen here for you. All right, and, and listen, I'm no psychologist, okay, but I want you to see this. God has created all of us, all right, with a mind, okay, and I'm also going to call this a soul, all right? And when we think of our mind, I want us to think of like our cognitive thoughts, okay? And we think of our soul. I want us to think of our emotions, what we feel, okay? Now, this is who we are. Now, all of us are going to experience hard circumstances in life. Excuse my handwriting, All of us are going to feel, experience hard circumstances in life, like loneliness or whatever. And this might make us feel, all right, a number of different things. We might feel sad. We might be angry at our circumstances, right? We might be bitter at our circumstances, whatever it is. We're going to feel all sorts of things. Now, if you're a follower of Jesus, you've been taught to go to God's word in the midst of hard circumstances. This is great, right? So we're going to experience hard circumstances, and we should go to God's word when we feel these hard circumstances. This is a good thing to do, but this is where we can get off track. And that's this, is that what we'll do is we'll actually use God's word, okay, to invalidate our emotions, to invalidate what we feel. So we'll read things like, you know, uh, God has a plan for you, that God is sovereign, that he's good. All things are going to work together for the good, for those who love God, right? Maybe you're single and you read something like 1 Corinthians chapter 7 that says, you know, hey, it's better to be single. You're more useful to God if you're single, And so we read these things and they're all true things. But what happens is we use those things to actually invalidate what we feel. So we begin to believe that our minds are actually this filter to filter out these raw, bad, maybe ungodly, distrustful emotions in our soul. And that our raw emotions... These things right here are too lowly, they're, they're, they're too sinful, they're not worthy to present to God. So what we do is we actually use God's word to suppress our emotions, and we're just believed we're called to slap a smile on our face, and that what it means to be faithful to God is that we just grin and bear it. 
that what we're feeling in our soul doesn't matter to God. What God wants us to do is to pretend that we trust everything that he said to us in his word and that it's just all up here in our head. So here's the deal with this. This is not lament. This is performance. If God wanted us to use his word to suppress our emotions, if God thought that our emotions were too lowly, were immature, right? Were were not the right way to think about it. They were an expression of distrust or an expression of a lack of faith. Then I've got all kinds of questions if God really feels this way because of Jesus. Like Jesus, who became a man, Jesus, who is God himself, Jesus, whom the Bible says is the word of God, right? So distrusting God's word is not something Jesus struggles with, okay? And so if that's the case, what about John chapter 11? Uh, Jesus goes to Mary and Martha's house. Lazarus, their brother, had died, good friend of Jesus, He's in the tomb. Jesus has made it very clear he's going to raise Lazarus from the dead. Jesus knows that he has the power. He is God. He knows what he's about to do. And yet before, moments before Jesus calls Lazarus out of the tomb and raises him from the dead, he weeps. And the word for weep there in John 11 means like a deep, emotional, raw weep. Why, Jesus? When in your head, you know what you're about to do. Or think about Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. He's moments before his arrest and eventually going to the cross. Sure, he's afraid of the pain of the cross and he's afraid of his father turning his back on him as he takes on the sin of the world, of course. But Jesus knows how the story is going to end. He knows he's going to conquer death. He knows his name's going to be exalted above every name and that he will now have accomplished salvation for his people. He knows this. Yet he weeps bitterly. He prays to God for a different way. He's so anxious. He's sweating drops of blood. Deep, raw emotion. What about Hebrews 4 that tells us that because Jesus experienced all that, He knows what it means to be weak. He has felt all of our temptations and he can sympathize with us. And if we live our Christian life using the word of God to invalidate our emotions and suppress them, it's only a matter of time before you're going to throw in the towel and give up on the faith altogether because God did not create us to be alone. And you are never more alone than when your entire life, including your spiritual life, is nothing but a performance. And your true self has been suppressed. It is not sin to struggle with loneliness and to express the raw version of that struggle to God. God invites us to lament. Okay, so let me read you an example of a true lament. Okay, and this is going to be from the book of Lamentations. All right, so uh, a book full of 
laments. So this is someone writing this lament in Lamentations who believes in God, believes in his word, believes God is sovereign, believes God is in control of all things, believes God is good. And yet, because he believes all of those things, he's looking at his circumstances and he's angry at God. Because God, you're sovereign and you could end this and yet you don't. And I don't understand that. And so he laments to God. Let me, let me read this to you. This is in Lamentations chapter three. And, you know, this is long. I'm going to read, what, 24 verses. But I want you to feel the raw soul level emotion that the author is expressing. Look at this. Lamentations chapter three, starting in verse one says this, I am the one who has seen the afflictions that come from the rod of the Lord's anger. He has led me into darkness, shutting out all light. He has turned his hand against me again and again all day long. He has made my skin and flesh grow old. He has broken my bones. He has besieged and surrounded me with anguish and distress. He has buried me in a dark place like those long dead. He has walled me in and I cannot escape. He has bound me in heavy chains. And though I cry and shout, he has shut out my prayers. He has blocked my way with a high stone wall. He has made my road crooked. He has hidden like a bear or a lion waiting to attack me. He has dragged me off the path and torn me in pieces, leaving me helpless and devastated. He has drawn his bow and made the target for his arrows. He shot his arrows deep into my heart. My own people laugh at me. All day long they sing their mocking songs. He has filled me with bitterness and given me a bitter cup of sorrow to drink. He has made me chew on gravel. He has rolled me in the dust. Peace has been stripped away and I have forgotten what prosperity is. I cry out, my splendor is gone. Everything I had hoped for from the Lord is lost. You know, you read all these verses. Is everything he said true? Has God done all of those things exactly as he said them to him? No, this is his soul crying out. These are his emotions, raw emotions coming up to God. The thought of my suffering, this is verse 19, and homelessness is bitter beyond words. I will never forget this awful time as I grieve over my loss. Yet, Verse 21, I still dare to hope when I remember this. The faithful love of the Lord never ends. His mercies never cease. Great is his faithfulness. His mercies begin afresh each morning. I say to myself, the Lord is my inheritance. Therefore, I will hope in him. Here is the difference between dealing with your emotion through performance and dealing with it through lament. Performance is using God's word to invalidate what we feel and pretend to trust God. Lament is to express to God exactly what we feel. Again, the more raw, the better. And go to God's word as God's 
gracious, loving, understanding, fatherly response to us. It's a subtle difference that changes everything. One leaves you feeling guilty and fake, guilty for feeling all of these things and trying not to let God know that you feel them. And the other is actually having a relationship with God. One leaves you all alone. The one, the other actually reminds you that you're never alone. And this allows us to to go to the second thing that we can do when we feel lonely. Okay, so in the midst of allowing ourselves to truly lament to God, to express what we feel to God and go to his word as God's fatherly encouragement back to us, then number two is surrender. We surrender our life and our life's circumstances to God. In other words, trust God, Continue to follow God. Lean into God's will for your life in the midst of the struggle. Right? So if you uh, are single and just long to be married and it's a hard season for you, right? This means leaning into what God has for you in this season of singleness. Right? Being willing to put your yes on the table and offer yourself to God. And lean into a text like 1 Corinthians 7 that says it's better to be single because you're more useful to the Lord than someone who is married. And to say in this season, I am willing to do what you're calling me to do, God. And same thing, no matter what your life circumstances are. Same thing, no matter if you're in a pandemic or not. Surrendering our life circumstances and trusting that God will lead us in the way of joy. But hear me on this. You cannot properly surrender to God if you do not properly lament. If the way you have been dealing with your emotions is performance and suppressing them, you're actually not surrendering anything to God. You're still performing for God. You're you're trying to impress God through being someone that you're not. And you're actually presenting yourself as someone willing and able to go along with God's will for your life while resenting God in the deep places of your soul. So back to Lamentations chapter three with me. The author uses this strong language against God. But look at this verse in verse 21 again with me where he says this, yet I still dare in the midst of all of my struggle, I still dare to hope when I remember this. Right, this right here is an example of true surrender. The author is not ashamed of how he feels. God's word does not invalidate it, but he goes to God's word for hope. In the midst of everything that I'm feeling, I still dare to hope in the word of God. Brothers and sisters, you do not need to hide yourself from God. He already sees everything that's deep within your soul. He saw it, named it, identified it before you were even aware of it. And the first step to actually surrendering our life to the will of God is to be your true self to God. Express all that is in you to him in prayer. 
uh, through journaling, through lamenting to trusted friends who are not going to weaponize God's word against you, but use God's word to encourage you. Who won't use God's word to invalidate, but they'll use God's word as God's gracious and loving and understanding response to you. This is what it means to have a relationship with God. And it's when we are in this place where we can surrender our life circumstances to God. But look back with me at verse 24 of Lamentations chapter three, where he says, I say to myself, the Lord, look at this, is my inheritance. Therefore, I will hope in him. The author laments and the author is comforted by this hope right here. What is this hope? It is his inheritance. He knows that his inheritance from God is the kingdom of God where God will wipe away every tear from his eye where loneliness will never exist. That's his inheritance from God. That's the promise that God has given him, that there will be a time where all of his grief and all of his anxiety is gone. And so he's saying, I dare to still hope in this. And his surrender is fueled by this promise from God. His surrender is fueled by the fact that God is not ashamed or angry at his lament. Did you read his lament in Lamentations 3? He accused God of a whole lot of things. God is not ashamed of that. He is not angry with that. And he has this true hope that one day everything that he is lamenting about will be untrue. So we can press forward with a God who sympathizes with us. He doesn't scoff at us. This is true surrender, not performance. Trusting God with our circumstances and following his will, knowing that he welcomes our lament and does not turn it away. But this leads me to the last thing we can do when we feel lonely. Number three is this, we need to connect. More specifically, we need to connect to the local church. Uh, And I want to be really clear about this. When it comes to those who are lonely connecting with the local church, the onus is on the local church and not on the lonely. I want to be really clear about that. When it comes to those who are lonely connecting with the local church, the onus is on the local church and not the lonely. Right? So, So no matter if you're struggling with loneliness or not, this message right now is for all of us because we have a responsibility here. Does God ever command the widow and the orphan, hey, go find help at the church. They're waiting for you. No, he sends the church after them. Did Jesus wait for us to find our way to him? No, he came down and came after us. And in the same way, the local church is called to seek out the lonely and invite them into honest, life-giving, emotionally safe relationships. So here is the vision of the local church that I want all of us to get right here. All of us are going to face hard things in life at varying degrees. Loneliness is one of those things that some of us will experience more 
than others. And God calls us to lament those things and to seek refuge in his word. But one of the things that God has given us to be a balm for our wounds, to be a taste of his kingdom right now before he returns is the local church. When it comes to the ways in which we suffer in this world, when it comes to the sacrifices we make to surrender to God's will, the local church is designed to be a reprieve from those sufferings. Okay, so look at this passage with me in Mark chapter 10. This is Jesus speaking to his disciples. And I want us to digest what Jesus is saying here. This is a promise to us. But Jesus is also helping us to understand how we ourselves are the fulfillment of this promise to others. Look at what Jesus says. He says, truly, I say to you, there is no one. So there's not one person who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands. So think about that for a second. He's saying there is no one who... who has lost these relationships, okay, for my sake and for the gospel. So he is speaking of someone who is following him. This is a follower of Jesus who has lost a lot because of their faith. They have lost a lot because they have decided to surrender. They've decided to surrender to Christ and to his will for his life, even though that they struggle in the midst of this. So there is no one Okay, who has lost these things right here. For my sake and for the gospel, who will not receive a hundredfold now. I want you to see this word. Now in this time, houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions and in the age to come, eternal life. Let me break down what Jesus just said. Jesus saying is that when we surrender our lives to Christ, we surrender our lives to his will, even though it's hard, even though we're suffering in the midst of it, and we've lost all of these things. And maybe loneliness is one of the things we are feeling because we have lost relationships. We're in a life circumstance where relationships have been taken away from us. What Jesus is saying is in this life now and in the kingdom to come, but it's in both places we will receive, it said there, a hundredfold houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands. What is Jesus referring to? We've lost something, but we're gaining something. What are we gaining? And I believe that what he's referring to here is the local church. That he's referring to the family that you are brought into when you become a follower of Christ in real relationships that you are going to now build and gain as a part of being with the local church. Now, I could preach a whole sermon series on ways the local church lives out this call to be this kind of family to one another. But here is what I want to make clear this morning. If our church is going to be a church where the lonely, the grief-stricken, the anxious, the frustrated, where they are going to find reprieve, then our church needs to be a safe place to lament. Where we respond to lament in the same way that God does. 
Not a place where the word of God is used to invalidate or to silence lament or to to tell you why you shouldn't be feeling these things, but a church that invites lament and uses the word of God to encourage and instill hope. And so Grace Hill, I want to be, this morning, I want to challenge us to be a church that seeks out the lonely invites lament, is comfortable with raw emotion and encourages one another with hope, right? If you put yourself in that category of someone not struggling with loneliness right now, how might you right now love those in the church who are struggling with it? In what ways could you invite them into your home? How could you make time for them? How could you be a safe place for them to lament? The onus is on us as the local church to make sure that the struggle of loneliness in the church is rare. The onus is on us to be the fulfillment of Mark 10 to those around us who are suffering. We all need it. God's not going to make these people just appear out of thin air. It's you. You're the fulfillment of the promise to people in your local church. We live in a broken world. We're all going to suffer. And the church is designed to be a place of reprieve. And it just makes me wonder, just speaking of the church at large, our church and, and all other churches, is that what we are? Are we a breath of fresh air in the midst of the craziness of this world? And every single one of us are called by God to help build a church like that. That's not a call on pastors. Pastors are absolutely very much a part of it. That is a call on every person in the church. And we're called by God to be that kind of church to our brothers and sisters who are suffering. Like we have to get this modern Western idea of church out of our head where church is a place where I go and get spiritually fed. Yes, I hope all of us are being spiritually fed at the church. That is absolutely a part of it. But we need to begin to see church as a family, an expression of the kingdom of God. And when we gather together, it feels like, it tastes like, it smells like the kingdom of God. And every single one of us are part of building that. If our church is going to be a safe place for people to lament and be encouraged in God's word, then we need to be safe people to lament to. I need to be a safe person to lament to. You need to be a safe person to lament to. And so I want to I end our time with two calls to, to action here, okay? For those of you who are suffering, especially with loneliness right now, I want to I invite you to lament, you know, uh, if you feel like that what you're feeling inside is, is somehow an expression of distrust in God or weak faith, just get, get that idea out of your head. God invites your lament. He invites your raw emotion. He, in fact, already knows it's there. There's nothing, like you need to hear this this morning, there's nothing that you could say to God that would cause him to walk away. Like absolutely nothing. So that might look like crying out to him in prayer. 
that might be coming in here and, and talking to one of our pastors or, or talking to a trusted friend at the church and just sitting down and saying, I just need to get stuff off my chest and I, I, I need someone else to help me with this. It, it might look like going for a walk with a journal and, and journaling your thoughts down. But lament. And for those of you who are not suffering with loneliness right now, I just want to challenge all of us to begin to reframe in our heads because I think we need to do this on a continual basis. We need to consistently be reframing in our heads what it means to be a part of a church. Like, are we contributing to a kind of church that is a reprieve to people from the suffering and the brokenness of this world? Do we see a responsibility put on us by God to seek out the lonely and to invite them into our lives and to share ourselves with them. So who do you need to reach out to? How might you this week begin to be someone who creates this kind of church culture at Grace Hill Church? How can you be a safe person to lament to? These, this is the, the ministry of the local church to us during this time of brokenness in our world. And we're going to need it till the end of the age, till the Lord brings us home. And so let's suffer well together. Let's encourage each other. And let's be a safe place where we can lament in the midst of our suffering. Let me pray for us. God, this morning, I know that... Um, dealing with the, the deep felt uh, emotions and struggles uh, in our world. Um, Lord, it's just hard. And I know there's many of us who maybe feel like the writer of Lamentations when he was just lamenting out to you, Lord, and, and it just seemed like he was tossing accusation after accusation at you. And God, I love that in the, in the end of that, he, he came back to the hope that he has in your character and the promises that you have given. And, and Lord, he let it all out. There was no shame in him expressing these things to God. So God, help us to be people who do not suppress what we feel and, and pretend to be someone we're not in our faith, but Lord, to surrender all of our lives to you. And Lord, help us to be a church that invites this, that encourages this, that is a safe place to lament because we all need it. God, we all need people in our lives who will be this breath of kingdom air, fresh air in our lives. And I pray for Grace Hill that that's exactly what we would be, that we would love each other, that we would be the fulfillment of Mark 10, and that when people outside of our church come and visit us and experience the relationships inside of our church, it's the kingdom of God that they'll actually experience. We love you, God. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen.